This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. This is the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And we are still in quarantine 2020, but to uh, help you through this quarantine, we are going to continue our coverage of Witchblade the Series. And Witchblade the Series takes a rather interesting turn in these episodes, whereas I feel as though like a lot of the dynamic and the cinematography and a lot of things have shifted as we were warned about when we had David Wall on the show, the co-creator of The Witchblade. And we're going to pick up with part two of this two-parter reimagined universe. Mr. Seneca has the plot synopsis for us. Okay. Uh, Witchblade, season two, episode two, Destiny, originally aired June 16th, 2002. Using the incredibly strong and powerful powers and abilities of the Witchblade, Sarah saves the life of her partner Danny Wu when he's buried alive. But then Irons procures an ancient weapon called the Longest Lance in order to kill Sarah to obtain the Witchblade. Can she save herself as the battle for the Witchblade turns into a fight to the death? In this new timeline, Sarah struggles to know more about the Witchblade, which leads her to meeting Gabriel for the first time, who gives her some advice but it puts a strain on her detective partner, Danny, over her refusing to confide in him over what has been going on with her. Now, what? how, how did you pronounce the, um, the uh, MacGuffin of the episode that Kenneth Iron seeks? The Longest uh, Lance, Longest Lance. It's also known as the Spear of Destiny. Okay, I think it's called the, uh, the uh, I think it's called Longevity. Longinus. Longinus. I think you're mispronouncing it. I think I'm, I'm, I'm mispronouncing it as well. Longinus. So it's okay. Linus. Okay. So it is. It's, it's, it's Longinus. It's a Greek word. Yeah. It's Longinus. It's, it's pronounced Longinus. I'm actually looking okay. it up on the, on the Bible website right now. Because this is a object of... Um, as Gabriel discusses with Sarah, um, something from the Bible, something that Indiana Jones would probably go hunt down, something that was believed to be in the possession of the Adolf Hitler. And as of today, where do we believe the Spirit of Destiny is, or is it? Do we know where it is? Uh, let's see. As as of right now, the long, the lance, <laughs> um, I believe, is in Destiny. several different parts. Just call huh? it the Spirit. We can just call it the Spirit of Destiny. Okay. Uh, the Spear of Destiny. I believe it's in several different parts. Uh, there is word of it being in Vienna, uh, uh, parts of it from Paris, but that has separated into different pieces. So there's the point with, which has separated from the majority of the staff, 
And then there's a third piece. So there is some sort of conflict as to which ones are the original or um, you know, the one that's actually passed down generation to generation as the spear. Yeah, and one of them is in Austria, too, which would make sense if that's the one that Hitler possibly owned. Possibly, yes. Now, this ties in heavily to a character from Top Cow uh, mythology who has been an ally and an enemy of the Witchblade. Most of the time has been an ally. And she is the um, assassin for the uh, the church. She is the Magdalena. The Magdalena. Yes. Do you know who that is? I have heard of the name. I've seen the character. I have not actually read any of the comics. Okay. The Magdalena the basically holds the spear of... Um, Destiny as her weapon. She she is the she is the assassin for the Catholic Church, or they're basically their bounty hunter. She's whatever they want her to be. Um, her outfit comes in various forms. Most of the time, it's hot. It's long leather pants, uh, midriff, and a uh, like a tank top with sleeves. Um, sometimes it's uh, like knee high boots, tank top with sleeves, and panties because <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the way the Witchblade is drawn, it makes complete sense. Um, she always has a ginormous cross adorned across her breasts, and she is supposed to be of like purest faith and work with the Angelus, who is the sworn enemy of the the darkness, uh, the father of the Witchblade. But uh, she has worked with Sarah on several different uh, adventures. Uh, probably most recently was the Artifact storyline where the Witchblade, the Darkness, the Angelus, the Spear of Destiny, and like a dozen, like half a dozen other artifacts were all brought together to stop the end of the world or bring about the end of the world or something like that. Um, there's a... I have a... I don't have a lot of her comic books. I, a lot of the ones I do have are like crossover ones. Like she has a crossover with uh, Vampirella, um, mm -hmm. who could probably show the most skin. That's probably the name of that crossover. Um uh, <laughs> There's also uh, there's a couple of Vampirella crossovers. One of them is done by Art. Uh, the cover the cover is done by Art Adams. It has uh, the Magdalena holding like two swords above uh, Vampirella, and Vampirella for no other reason is just like bent over in like an L shape <laughs> for some reason. Uh, <laughs> uh, she also has had a crossover with uh, the Marvel Universe, such as characters like Daredevil and Wolverine. Awesome. Which makes a lot of sense considering that Daredevil is a um, you know, devote Catholic. Now, we've also seen the Spear of Destiny in the Constantine movie that starred Keanu Reeves. That was the main MacGuffin in that one. Oh, we've seen the Spear of Destiny probably in many different things. I'm just, oh. I'm shocked that they never had it in in in, in a Indiana Jones movie. Not yet. <laughs> probably not anytime soon. I don't think they uh, they're going to be start. I I do not believe that Indiana Jones movie is going to happen now because of the pushback of Hollywood's filming schedule. They were supposed to start filming that this summer, and at this point, and they get around to filming it, Harrison's going to be in his 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the staff itself is referred to in the Bible if you look up uh, John 19.34. So the soldier is not specifically reported to by name. Um, it's only in the Gospel of Nicodemus that a name is actually given to it, but as that word, uh, Longinus, uh, might have actually been referring to the soldier as an assassin because uh, the person, the historical figure Gaius Cassius Longinus, was actually involved in the assassination of Caesar. So there's a 
type of a terminology relationship. So the soldier might have been referred to that name that might not have been his actual name. Sarah gets to Danny's location immediately um, and digs him up, saving Danny's life, and uh, of course sees Laszlo at the graveyard, but he quickly disappears. Um, then Sarah goes and meets uh, Gabriel for the first time, and Gabriel's got all sorts of knowledge and wisdom about the, the Witchblade that uh, Sarah feels as though she's had this conversation before. Yeah, very, very familiar. And and uh, when they're talking about the types of artifacts that uh, Kenneth Irons tends to gravitate towards, you know, he says that the last ones that he definitely procured for him were piano keys that had belonged to Elizabeth Bronte, which is that spy grandmother type, you know, the previous Witchblade holder uh, from, you know, Hitler and all that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Ian Nottingham steals the uh, spear for Kenneth Irons just as Danny returns to work um, and makes a uh, makes a joke that I would I w- would be something you would hear uh, from Donald Trump when uh, in 2016 when he was running against Hillary Clinton. Uh, oh, believe me! Like I, I listened to this joke and I had to rewind it and listen to it several times. Okay, so uh, it's Danny and Sarah and the uh, you know dick of an officer, Dean, and uh, you know he's saying that. Uh, oh, one second, I could hear. Something compares to Hillary Clinton's libido. Yes, I I wrote it down. Now the reason why he would mention Hillary Clinton at this time in two thousand and. Well, I guess we're back in 2000 because of the time travels, because Hillary Clinton was senator of New York at this time. Oh, it was. I didn't even compare the time periods. I was just surprised that, uh, you know, that a, a joke about Hillary Clinton was still relevant. Well, it was because, again, Hillary was senator of New York at this time. Mm. And her husband had just left office, don't forget. And uh, the, uh, the she couldn't have been senator of New York yet, or could she? Yeah, no, she could she could run for senator in New York because this is the final year that her husband was president of the United States, and this is the year of the election between uh, George Bush and um, uh, I almost said Dick Cheney, but um, I almost said Mitt Romney, but uh, Al Gore. Oh, here it is. You know, so Sarah says any ideas regarding the death, and he said uh, Dean says uh, whatever it was wasn't too sharp. Look at the wound, and after the crate. That blade must be duller than Hillary Clinton's libido. Ah. And, Dan- and Danny turns to her and says, still using the same old jokes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> still relevant. The cinematography in the entire episode, in fact, the next episode as well, looks very, very different. Like, we definitely have a different feeling for the whole show. David mentioned that a lot of the show's focus really changed. In fact, I mean, at this point... Danny would be dead, Joe would be retiring, and the new guy, the new boss, would be taking over with the White Bulls. Mm-hmm. But we don't yeah. get that at all this season. Not at all. And in fact, like we'll talk about it in the next episode, but yeah, that whole White Bull storyline is just not there. It must be brewing in the background somewhere, but yeah, yeah different timelines. Kenneth Irons uses the Spear of Destiny to kill his entire boardroom. This reminds was me of the entire boardroom, or just just the two guys. Uh, I thought it was the whole board. I thought it was the whole boardroom, but it reminds me of Norman Osborn doing this to his board in Spider-Man the movie. Very much so, yeah. He throws the pumpkin you know, bomb and disintegrates everyone, including the guy in the wheelchair. Which usually handicapped people get a get a break from getting killed off, but yeah. not him. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that, that spear goes straight through the both of them. Kenneth, when he takes possession of this, is so enwrapped with the power of it. You get this kind of montage of powerful people and, you know, Nazi symbolism and constant, uh, you know, all, all the constant stream of just violence from this, from this lance. And I think that would be an indication that he was one of the chosen ones to actually wield this because it had to be someone that had been preordained to actually wield the lance. And it seems to rather vibe with him. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we see in the fight that will come up later on, uh, Vicky is referred to as Poe. I'm assuming like Edgar Allan Poe because she works in a morgue? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she looks around formaldehyde, which is not a good idea. Right. Uh, what, what's the name of the Poe song, uh, poem about the morgue? The Rue Morgue? Murder at the Rue Morgue? Yes. Yeah, she's the one that actually determines that this is an object that's from ancient times. As you know, in 10, 10 to 70, 70 A.D. Yeah. Which, 10 to 70 wow. A.D., what was happening in 10 to 70 A.D.? That's a pretty big time period, too. That's 60 years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the early start of the church, uh, death of Jesus Christ, you know, all of that, transformative. A lot of different things happen in 10, from 10 to 70 A.D., um, uh, Heron of Alexander was a Greek mathematician, and he lived from 10 to 70 A.D. There are a thousand events we could probably go over between this time period, and we just don't have time to cover them all. But it's a <laughs> uh, it's a time period that takes place after death, which means after the death of Jesus Christ. So this lance is so powerful. It's supposed to, you know, they describe it as the anti-witchblade. Which is funny, because that's supposed to be what the darkness is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so during their big, their big fight at the very end, you know, both people are kind of in Schrodinger's armor. They're both in and outside of this armor, uh, suits of armor. It's pretty fun to watch. Who was Emperor Constantine? Not John Constantine. No, not John Constantine. Emperor Constantine. I don't have that fact at my fingertips. Who is Charlemagne? Charlemagne is a, a religious right ruler that actually conquered much of the pagan cultures of uh, southern Europe, I believe, and did a whole lot of slaughtering. Constantine the Great, as he's also referred to as, or Constantine the First, was a Roman emperor who ruled between uh, 306 to 337 AD, um, and he was a Greek emperor who lived to be 65 years old, which back then, that's pretty old. Yeah. He was a very successful ruler and politician during his time with many military victories for the unified Roman Empire. Yeah, Charlemagne was in uh, 1742 AD that one and was I the king know. of the Franks. That one I did not know a lot about. Yeah, Charlemagne was the king of the Franks uh, that was born in 748 AD, lived to uh, 814 AD, and he was also the king of the Lombards from seven. 74, and Emperor of the Romans from 800. Did a lot, a lot of conquering. Slaughtered a lot of pagans. People that were given the choice. Convert or die. The artifacts that I mentioned, which the Spear of Destiny, the Witchblade, the, the, the Darkness are all part of, were part of a, a long-running artifact storyline that was written by our former guest, Ron Mars. 
Uh, it was the cultivation of his big Witchblade uh, story arc. So we get a fight scene between Kenneth Irons and Sarah using the Witchblade and the spear, and she gives him the old uh, Luke Skywalker getting his hand cut off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cut off the hand that was holding the spear. It falls down to the ground, which was told in the episode that you failure is imminent if the spear falls. So it spear falls down the ground. He is defeated. the The wound doesn't even bleed or anything. It's almost like it was cauterized by a lightsaber. No blood, just a sleeve. Might because of uh, either the heat of her blade, or also because we're on public television. Maybe the second option. <laughs> Maybe the second option. Uh, if you want to look up what the artifacts are for the Top Cow universe, for anyone listening, you just have to type in "artifacts comic book" and they'll give you a good listing of the different artifacts of Top Cow, as well as, like, a picture of the group assembled. This ended, uh, this storyline ended with uh, Sarah using the Witchblade's time-shifting ability, like she would on the TV show, but uh, she would basically allow Jackie Astakado to take their daughter uh, away from their lifestyle, and he gets his heart's desire with his um, late girlfriend, who was killed because of him being the darkness, and Sarah becomes a private detective over in Chicago, and her ex-boyfriend uh, now teams up with the current bearer of the Angelus to be New York City cops. Wow. Yeah. Was it weird for you to have Ian call Kenneth Iron's uh, father over and over and over again? Not really. It just this is just such a huge departure from the Ian Nottingham character that we're that I'm used to that it just makes it feel very. It's just a bad it. use of the character in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ian is uh, again in the storyline artifacts um, very confident. He's not someone's lapdog. He's not someone's you know whipping boy. He does he does follow Kenneth Irons, but once Kenneth Irons is out of the picture. Uh, but even before that, he was his own man and doing his own thing, uh, following his own agenda. Yeah, this is a totally separate uh, separate type of character. Correct. Yeah, so it, at the end of this episode, Sarah has the knife, the, the blade to Kenneth Iron's throat, and he pulls her to him, thusly committing a sacrifice of himself on the blade, uh, and, you know, traumatizing Ian because he kind of, you know, Kratos him in his death. And then that's the end of Kenneth Irons for the for the season, I believe. Does he come back from death? Yes and no. I don't want to give it away. You'll have to wait and see. It's ah, basically a big cliffhanger for the for the show. Uh that never okay. gets resolved. So um but that's it for my notes as well for this episode. The wrap up of the redo of the pilot. Um like I said, going forward the show does have a very different tone and feel with its cinematography and everything else about it. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with the second episode of our coverage of Witchblade the series on the Dead TV Podcast. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. You need to take out the trash. I don't have time for that now. We have two podcasts I have to create a new promo for. What? Both JLU cast and Superman? Yes. JLU cast where you and I discuss the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series from Bruce Tim and Company. And Supermates, our original show where we talk about all sorts of geeky stuff, including our annual House of Frankenstein series on classic horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. But how do we combine this into one promo? I have no idea, but it sounds like we're doing our original Supermates promo all over again. I kind of think we are, but hey, other folks kind of aped it, so it must have worked. 
Well, why don't you get to work taking out the trash and I'll finish up. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. On JLU Cast and Supermates, both proudly part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, found at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. Attention, attention all personnel. New from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, it's MASHCast. Hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHCast analyzes episode by episode the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHCast on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jocularity! Jocularity! We're back on the Dead TV Podcast with the next episode, Agape. 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 Uh, agape. <laughs> I know the pronunciation of this word. <laughs> uh, Witchblade, Season 2, Episode 3, Agape. As Sarah and Danny investigate a series of bizarre drug-related murders, rookie detective Jake is pulled into a sting with questionable cop. Now Sarah must learn how to use the Witchblade to solve the crime and save Jake before it's too late. This questionable cop is a former uh, dating partner of Sarah. I wouldn't necessarily say a relationship, but it's very funny that when uh, we get introduced to Sarah for this episode, I thought she was undercover, possibly as a hooker. Oh, because we see the rave scene with the murder? Well, not just that, but also the way she's dressed. <laughs> She does show a lot of belly, but I wouldn't put that as hooker attire. But also micro miniskirt, leather miniskirt, high, uh, knee-high boots. She Very typical it. TV hooker kind of outfit. <laughs> That's not to say that a woman can't dress that way and not be a hooker, but for television, we're talking people, television, it's got that air of, I thought she was undercover doing, you know, sex work stuff. And yeah. no, she was on a date. Not with uh, uh, her singer nope. boyfriend who's coming up soon. He's going to be returning to life as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dean. Uh, uh, not Dean Winchester, but uh, Dean Gorner, played by Robert John Burke, um, who you might know as being from RoboCop 3 and Thinner and Tombstone, uh, which is funny because... Um, I am actually going to have one of the actors from Tombstone on my radio show soon. Uh, but Ooh. he's been on Law & Order, as everyone has been on Law & Order. But uh, what character do you think he played in RoboCop? RoboCop? RoboCop 3, yes. He played Alex Murphy in RoboCop 3, taking over from <laughs> the original actor uh, who didn't want to come back for the third film. Yeah, sorry. I don't know the RoboCop's name. Alex Murphy. <laughs> it's RoboCop to me. <laughs> but he was also on Oz, uh, the prison show from HBO. Uh, several other Law & Order shows, and Rescue Me for 54 episodes. And he was also on Project Blue Book. Oh, I didn't know that, and I am just I just finished yeah. watching season one. Yeah, he was uh, William Fairchild in that one. Oh, interesting. This cop, Dean, he is, I mean, he scumbag. just drips. He, he drips with with scumbag all of them. Like, like he, he's just sleazy to the max. Like, why would you trust this person as a cop overall? And Jake, in this entire episode, is acting like the rookie, even though we as the audience know that he is an undercover FBI agent wanting to go after the White Bulls. I could see how he would go along with some of this stuff, because this is a corrupt cop and he's looking into that. But this episode just kind of devolved into, uh, into training day. And that's all I could think about it. 
Oh, the Trinity. movie with uh, Ethan Hawke okay. and um, uh, Denzel Washington. Yes. Yes. Like, the, the plot of that movie is the plot of this episode on Jake's side. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the, Dean sets Jake up to take the fall, exchange guns with him, so that's Jake's gun that's killed all the, the, the people that he met for the drug deal. Dean ends up swiping the, both the money and the drugs, which puts then Jake on the hook for both of those things from the mobsters. The cops are looking after Jake because this is a crime scene of, mag, uh, of you know great proportions. And Dean, the sleazy cop, is somehow getting away with it, even though he's sloppy and leaving evidence of crimes all over the place. He also Training day. He also mentions to Sarah when he runs into her again that he liked her in the other outfit. Sleazebag. A little bit. It seems like Sarah and Danny made up pretty fast. You know, at the end of the last episode, Danny was, like, basically broke up with his partner because she wasn't going to let him in on her what's going on with her. So Danny, at the end of the last episode basically broke up with his partner because she wasn't going to let him in on what's going on with her. And then in this episode, you know, he decides to trust her and take the leap of faith and they're best pals once again, even though she still didn't say anything about what's going on with her. Yeah, I I don't, and I don't remember if they ever, like, resolve that or, like, Danny gets an intuition that, like, something else is going on. I mean, Jake has kind of seen it, as he mentions at the end of the episode, um, and they're not, like, completely oblivious to Sarah's uh, supernatural abilities. So it's very loosey-goosey, loosey-goosey with uh, what we're seeing and what we're getting in these uh, this, this new universe, as you want to call it. The plot thread with the little girl apparition... That's weird. I didn't get it. It didn't really connect to anything in the story. The only place that there was an opening as to why that apparition of the little girl was important was that... In one picture from the evidence, there was a doll there, and in the other picture, there wasn't, which shows that evidence had been tampered with. That's it. Like, we didn't really hear about the story of the girl. Is the girl dead? Is the girl alive? Uh, you know, they, they mention partly in passing that she's dead, but we don't really see anything, and no one's upset. It's really weird. Like, if they had just taken the little girl out of the situation whatsoever, it, I would have been fine with it. It didn't add anything to the plot. Yeah, she didn't. That was really weird. That that just ghost girl who shows up and it, it just everything moves really slowly. And then we go back to the show. I didn't like that. The drug that they have, uh, that they're basically doing the drug deal with, it's called Bob. And this Bob. imaginary drug, <laughs> Bob. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What about Bob? Yeah. <laughs> this Im- th- this drug supposedly hits quick and causes hallucinations and apparently drives up your adrenaline and suppresses your feelings of fear or anxiety or everything else. So you become like a, you feel superhuman. And, uh, you know, some people try to take on more than they, you know, can in this mode and that's why they die. They're also, uh, Dean also brings uh, Jake to a sushi restaurant to eat fugu fish. And so I, I don't know because it wasn't expressly stated, but was the fugu fish a poison ingredient, part of the ingredients for this drug that they're that they're uh, basically uh, dealing. I didn't get that, but it seemed to have some sort of connection. I just thought that if was the most unusual. What, now, did Bob have an acronym? Did it was it B dot O dot B dot? No, the uh, forensics person basically just said because it comes on fast and makes your head bob. Oh, 
okay, that's kind of lame. That's, that was yeah. Vicky's explanation? I mean, I, I looked up the effects of the fugu fish because we see Jake kind oh, of right. uh, sweating and, you know, getting poisoned at the dinner table. And so fugu fish, the puffer fish, carry a tetrodotoxin, which is more lethal than cyanide or arsenic, and 150 people every year uh, get poisoned by the fugu fish, and it is 50% fatal. So if you are sickened half the time, you know, you're going to actually end up dead because of the dosage. It works by actually blocking the nerves, and so uh, you lose muscle control in your body, which also includes the lungs. So people just stop breathing because their muscles can no longer be controlled. It's causing nerve interruptions. So what Jake was actually experiencing seemed to be more fast-working, uh, synthetic LSD type of style of, of, of visuals that they were illustrating. It didn't seem to be like it was blocking the nerves. I remember an episode so of The Simpsons. I remember an episode of The Simpsons. Homer ate some fish that wasn't cooked properly from a Japanese restaurant, and he thought he was going to die. At the end of the episode, he didn't. Yeah, because it was a totally different fish. Uh, the technique to get a, a puffer fish safe to eat is called migaki. Migaki. It's the technique to detoxify a puffer fish, and someone needs to actually be licensed in order to slice a puffer fish. Oh, really? I didn't know. Uh, I, I, I think I had heard that before. Yeah, it, it's a lot of training because it's very delicate. The, the toxin is actually in the organs. Interesting. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> then what happens next? So, you know, Jake starts hallucinating after he's been peer pressured into eating the fugu fish. The, the fight ensues where, so Jake goes into uh, the meeting place with the bag of cash. He's supposed to get the bag of drugs. His uh, the guy Dean, the other the crooked cop's lease bag, gives him a different gun. When he goes in, the deal is about to go through. Everything seems okay. Uh, the drug dealer is taking him out the back door, and right there, Dean caps him, and then just goes buck wild, just bullets everywhere. So what Dean is doing is he's trying to set up Jake because that's Jake's gun. So Jake's gun killed all those people, and no one's going to believe Jake because and then he like puts some pills in his mouth and puts a you know bourbon in his mouth and he goes, no one's going to believe you anyway. Yeah, and so basically sets him up to take the fall for all the death and to the stealing of the money and the drugs in which Dean is actually stealing it. Training day. Yeah, but that's uh, and I believe this episode came out before Training Day. When did Training Day the movie come out? Training Day, the movie, came out in 2001. Oh, so this came out before that. Okay, so they probably then saw that movie in, really, 2001? 2001, I looked it up. Oh, interesting. Because I remember Denzel Washington won the Academy Award for that movie, and I was like, really? Out of all of his amazing performances, the one he is the worst in? It was, or was that just like, oh, he's been up for it enough, just give it to him? I, I think it's the second <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Denzel Washington. I think he's an amazing actor. I'll watch anything he does, but I think Training Day is one of the worst performances of his career. I think the movie is very good, but that whole King Kong ain't got shit on me speech at the very end, when the whole neighborhood yeah. turns against him because they're tired of his crooked cop bullshit, was the worst. And there was a Training Day TV series, too. Yeah, I didn't see that one either. No, um, not worth watching. But yeah, if you've never seen Training Day, it's worth watching. But again, it is not the Academy Award movie I would have given Denzel Washington. Um, 
Uh, I always liked him in. Um, you ever seen Remember the Titans? It's on Disney Plus. Yes. Yes, excellent yes. movie, excellent movie. By the way, if you watch the movie and then go online to watch like interviews with the actual two coaches, you're like, wow, Hollywood really glamorized these two coaches. Because <laughs> the, the 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 coach that Denzel plays is this like short, punchy little guy. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> and he even points out, it's just like I look nothing like Denzel Washington. <laughs> so okay, so yeah, this this whole episode is very much like Training Day, which is fine because it means they probably saw the movie and were like, "Hey, let's do that." Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. Let's put that in. Uh, yeah, Jake basically gets captured by the mobsters who are looking for their money and drugs. They end up catching Dean at the same time because of some you know coincidental timing and Dean just wasn't, you know, sly enough to move under cover of darkness. Uh, Danny and Sarah follow the mobsters that are following Dean and following like, it's just a train of of people going to the same purpose. And that is to save Jake um, and put Dean behind bars or dead as mobsters want him. It's funny that we don't get any of the FBI stuff that we're aware of. So I'm curious, like, did the writers forget about that entire plot line? Uh, I know there was a massive shift with this show, but it just, I I don't know. I I would not think that an FBI agent would put himself into the situation that Jake did in this episode. It's a little bit out of my ability to believe that. Definitely. Jake was acting like a rookie. He wasn't supposed to actually be a rookie. Yeah, uh, he is the um, the training, as our friend Ken from the uh, local New England uh, State Trooper Police Force told us, there would be a training partner along with a, um additional partner. So a detective would have a partner, and they would probably have a trainee with them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's, that's all the notes. Really, go that's ahead. That's all the notes I have. That's all the notes I have as well. These two episodes were pretty quick. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season progresses as we uh, g- uh, move towards the end, leading into early July. And if you would like to go find out more information about Witchblade, Top Cow has been giving away tons of free Witchblade comic books on their website. So go over to Top Cow's website and check out where you can digitally download lots of free Witchblade, Angelus, and Darkness comic books. There's a lot of amazing artwork out there for these characters. I always highly recommend Ron Mars' run of the character, which is issues 80 through 150. Um, and then the uh, I, I have actually sitting right behind me the Darkness Omnibus, uh, which is a like two phone book size uh, copy table comic book collections of the first uh, 50 issues of The Darkness. And uh, recently they had a talent contest for The Darkness to draw a Darkness comic book. I don't know the results of that, um, but uh, comic book shops are reopening up, so if you um, or they're at least doing curbside pickups as Diamond is pushing out new comic books next week, or sorry, this week, the time this is uh, going to be aired. So go buy your local, go to your local independent comic book store and support them because a lot of them have gone out of business because of COVID-19. If you um, like some recommendations for comic book stores, I recommend the Hall of Comics, Bedrock Comics, and That's Entertainment in at least the Massachusetts area. Mr. Zeneca, where can they go for comics in Pennsylvania? Oh, on in Philadelphia, we have uh, South Street Atomic Comics. That's uh, a pretty good comic place that so you can get uh, comics. And they also host uh, some different events, autograph signings, and game nights. Awesome. 
So go support your local comic book stores, people, with uh, Top Cow, Marvel, DC, whatever you happen to want to buy. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be mainstream. It can be independent. It doesn't have to be independent. It can be anything that you really desire. But go support your local comic book store during this um, bad era of small businesses that uh, is happening right now. And you can find us on the Dead TV Podcast on Facebook. I've just recently set up a live stream for the Dead TV Podcast, so I'm going to try and test that out throughout the week. So maybe the next time we record, we might be able to do a live stream. Wow, technology. Yes, I know. You can also send us an email, thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Again, thatradiohorror at gmail.com. And please leave a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Google Play is changing, by the way, so it's going to become Google Podcasting very soon. They sent a memo out, so there's a lot of things changing with Google's algorithms for their music and podcasting uh, because it has never been user-friendly. <laughs> Let's wow. just yeah. say that. So that's, that's good news. All of the previous episodes of the shows we have covered can be found on www.radiohorror.com, and we'll be back in two weeks with two more episodes of Witchblade the Series on the Dead TV Podcast. Good night. Good night.